I'm Wendy Connolly. This is Mojo for Moms, episode 35 on quitting. Mojo means influence, magic power, and more joy. I'm Wendy Connolly. Welcome to Mojo for Moms. I believe that every kid deserves a confident, mentally fit, and joyful mom, and that you deserve to be her. As a life coach, I've designed this podcast to help you get there. Let's begin. Hey everyone, welcome to today's podcast, episode 35 on quitting. Such an important topic. But before we dive in, do you have your ticket yet for Creative You? I'm actually recording this episode ahead of time because of a family vacation, so I don't know if we still have tickets when this podcast goes live, but I hope we do, and I hope that you can snag one and come. If you've been listening to the last three episodes, you've gotten just a very tiny sliver of a glimpse of the powerful work that takes place in these retreats. So imagine these teachings, but amplified and applied directly to your situation, to your life, and how you would change as a result of actually digging in to do this work for the sake of your own transformation. We're going to take women who feel creatively blocked through a whole day of live coaching and fun exercises and teachings to invoke their creative muse and fan their creative sparks into wildfires. So if you're working on a project, a book, you just need some creative mojo in your life and you're lost for how to find it, maybe you're building a business or a website or you want to start a podcast, maybe you're feeling stuck and confused and uninspired in your job, whatever it is, we're going to turn all of that around and have so much fun doing this. And the price not only includes an all-day retreat this Saturday, April 6th, but it comes with a great catered lunch that everyone loved at our last retreat and a physical recipe box brimming with coaching tools that spark creativity and keep you moving forward beyond the retreat that get you building toward a tipping point and living in that gorgeous state of flow. And as an added bonus, you get a free follow-up Creative You one-on-one coaching session with either me or Ginger if you want to take advantage of that, which nearly pays for the cost of the entire retreat. So invest in yourself. Invest in the joy of living a creative life. It's so amazing to get to do this. And snag those last tickets to Creative You if they're still available. You can find them on my website, mojoformoms.com. And there's a tab at the top that says Creative You. Just click on that and you can register. I am so excited to see all of you ladies this Saturday. Okay, today let's talk quitting. You know that song by Kenny Rogers, The Gambler? Such a classic song. I have memories growing up of that song coming on. I don't know if it was in a car or in a bar, but I just have this memory of my aunts and cousins all breaking into song and singing along because the lyrics are just so catchy. And I'll spare you from singing it. You're welcome. But pay attention to these lyrics because we're going to talk about them today. And it goes like this. You've got to know when to hold him, know when to fold him. Know when to walk away and know when to run. You never count your money when you're sitting at the table. There'll be time enough for counting when the dealing's done. So this episode today is for those of you who find yourself wondering whether to quit something. When do you hold him and keep with it, keep going? And when do you fold him? When is it wise to walk away? This for you could be a job. Maybe your job feels like a dead end. And maybe it is, but maybe it's not. 
It could be that your kids want to quit piano lessons and it's become a battle to get your kid to practice, but you think, oh, but we've come this far. What if he regrets quitting? By the way, my philosophy on this is not to push too much with my kids. We are not very demanding. And because of this, our kids have tried and experimented with a lot of things and have ultimately found some things that they truly love. They want to just go deep in and pursue these things. Both my son and daughter, they love scouts and they love drama. And my son has just taken up the bagpipes, you guys, seriously, the bagpipes. But if we'd force them to stick with soccer or basketball or violin or other of our ideas of what they should do, and we wouldn't let them quit, then our kids couldn't have found those endeavors that truly resonated with their unique spirits and tapping into their unique abilities and gifts. Um, so that's just my philosophy when it comes to kids. I know I've held on to stocks in my portfolio, especially when I dabbled in day trading. I would hold on to a stock thinking I've already bought in. Maybe it'll make a comeback when I just see it going down, down, down. So do I stick with it or do I sell? Is it bull or bear? I don't know. I kept looking for a doji on the charts, that sweet spot of a trend change when no doji came when I should have folded. And I've since learned to ask myself, would I invest my money in this stock today, right now? Much wiser outlook if you're trying to decide whether to hold on to a stock or quit that stock. I know right now when it comes to quitting, for a lot of my pastor friends, since I was trained in a Methodist seminary, they're wondering whether to quit the Methodist Church because of a vote at General Conference that is very hurtful and harmful to so many beloved children of God. And they're at this crossroads right now. They're wondering if they keep trying to negotiate after years and years of battles and bruises and failed negotiations that have really been getting them nowhere, wondering if they keep trying to reform from within or whether it's finally time to move in a new direction, embrace a new beginning full of possibility, a really nimble new start, but possibly at a very high cost to them. You've got to know when to hold them and when to fold them. So the question of when to quit and when to keep going is one that comes up a lot for me in coaching. I speak with so many women who are on the verge of quitting, but feel like it's equated with failure and sticking with something because of some of these cultural narratives around the shame of quitting. I find that women especially find it hard to quit when it's time to walk away from something, when all the signs point to go, move on. And I think the reason is it has a lot to do with a lack of confidence that a lot of women struggle with and a whole heap of fear. But sometimes we do need to stick with things. So a lot of us just stay stuck in confusion. Should I stay or should I go? I don't know, so I'll just stay. And as a coach, it's not my place to give advice on whether to stay or go. My job is to help the women I work with trust their inner wisdom and tap into it themselves. Because deep down, as they tune into their thoughts and emotions, and especially their dreams. They do some depth work with the metaphors and the omens. When we begin to pray attention to the language of the universe, they begin to open up to the still small voice that guides them. 
Sometimes knowing when to quit is easy. You hit a wall, you get pushed out, the floor falls out beneath you, the tide turns, and you just know it's time. But very often it's not that simple. The forecast isn't always clear. Sometimes it's foggy. And sometimes we need to tune into that still, small voice. There's this passage in the Bible that I've memorized with my kids, and often before we huddle up and meditate together, which is not as often as I, would, as I wish it were, by the way, but we'll meditate together in a circle in the hallway, and we have these little meditation tuffets, these cushions, and we open up our meditation reciting this passage from the Bible as a call and response, and it goes like this. The word of the Lord came to Elijah And God said, Stand upon the sacred mountain. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great wind rent the mountains and broke into pieces the rocks before the Lord. And then the kids say, But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. And the kids respond, But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. And the kids respond, But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire... We say together, a still, small voice. And then we ask the still, small voice to speak, and we begin our meditation. Knowing when to hold him and when to fold him often requires that we tune into that still, small voice. And the still, small voice is available to all of us when we get still and silent and pay very close attention to our thoughts and emotions and our dreams and the omens around us. But if that sounds a little woo-woo to you, I want to talk about some other ways we can discern when to quit and when to keep going. And a lot of this episode today is inspired by a tiny but significant book called The Dip by Seth Godin, a little book that packs a big punch that teaches when to quit and when to stick. Because a lot of people buy into the cliche that we should never, never, never give up that we should persevere at all costs, even at the cost of our own physical and mental health. And Seth Godin and I both think this is terrible advice. He calls this a spectacularly bad piece of advice. What if you never quit wetting your bed or that telemarketing job you took to get you through college or selling a product that's now completely obsolete? Seth talks about strategic quitting versus reactive quitting. Reactive quitting is when you quit because it's painful but premature. Quitting for short-term gain. That's a bad quit. That's a reactive quit. And its opposite is equally bad. I'm not talking about strategic quitting, but uh, when you just stick with something, when it's convenient and comfortable enough to get by, but when you can't be bothered to quit. We don't want that mentality either. That's called coping, and it's a cop-out from living an extraordinary life, a life that brings deep joy and fulfillment and that rainbow after a long slog of rain. So here's where the concept of the dip, which is the title of Seth's book, comes in. Godin says that if you were to chart out when to stick with something instead of quitting, it would chart out as an inverse bell curve. It starts high, there's what he calls the dip in the middle, and then eventually, after a long haul, it goes back up again. In this model, when you first begin something, it's fun, right? 
doesn't really matter what the activity or job is, but it's sparkly and new and interesting. It's this honeymoon phase at the beginning and you experience rapid learning and probably some quick wins. So that's when it's fun in the first weeks or months when it's easy to stay engaged. And then the dip happens. He calls this dip the long slog between starting and mastery. And this long slog is actually a shortcut because it's the fastest way to get to where you ultimately want to go. You want to get to mastery, you have to go through the long slog, the dip. With the exception of a few overnight sensations, there's just no way around it. You've just got to persevere and keep going and get through that long haul of a dip. For instance, the dip can be all the hard work that goes into earning that degree or certification, lots of bureaucracy and hoops to jump through, all the stuff I hate. It's the void between beginner's luck and real accomplishment. You've just got to go through it. It's the part of the chart that weeds out the dilettantes who just dabble in things but don't get very far from the masters. It's where skill develops, where a lot of failure happens. The dip is where most people give up when in fact they'd be far better off and would get what they ultimately were aiming for if they only stuck with it. Some people call the dip the river of misery. I do a coaching technique called the montage sequence. Think of a movie montage. There's something enticing at the beginning of the hero's journey that sends them on the quest for treasure. And then there's the long slog scene after scene of trial and error and training and failure and getting back up again. It's not sexy and it's often very painful, but it's the fastest way to the treasure. It's an essential step, that montage sequence. Except here's the deal, in movies, they speed up the montage. They show a transformation scene by scene by scene that may stretch weeks or months or even years and decades in real time for a character. But in the movies, they condense it to less than a minute while Rocky or the Karate Kid or Baby from Dirty Dancing goes through all of this training to some inspiring background music. But in real life, our montage sequence doesn't have the sexy background tune or the instant progress scene to scene. It's exactly what it sounds like. It's a dip, a long slog with a lot of pain and misery and failure along the way. This is to be expected. It doesn't mean anything's gone wrong. And yet most people give up here before they get to their treasure on the other side of it, before Rocky and the Karate Kid win their battles and Baby is launched overhead into the strong arms of Patrick Swayze. Here's what Seth Godin says about the dip, and I'm reading this paragraph from the book. The brave thing to do is to tough it out and end up on the other side, getting all the benefits that come from scarcity. The mature thing to do is not even to bother starting because you're probably not going to make it through the dip. And the stupid thing to do is to start, give it your best shot, waste a lot of time and money, and quit right in the middle of the dip. Now, I would counter that with a caveat. If you're in it to just explore and experiment and just have some fun, then I think it's great to explore things and quit if it gets hard and you don't feel a huge commitment. That's totally fine. 
but you're not quitting because it's hard. You're quitting because you realize in trying that it's actually not what you want. It's not your cup of tea. If it is, however, what you want, if you think maybe this is my cup of tea, maybe it is worth it, and you just know it's going to be a lot of hard work along the way, then push through that dip. For me, that was grad school. It was hard. I knew going in it could be expensive, but I was willing to push through the dip because for me, having a master's degree was totally worth it. I wanted to get to the other side no matter what. Another curve that we sometimes encounter instead of the dip is the cul-de-sac, which is French for dead end. So this is a situation in which you're just running on the hamster wheel. You work, 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 and nothing changes. You're going nowhere. Now it can feel like you're going nowhere in the dip, but it's just part of the long slog and there's hope that you're getting somewhere. You know there's a place to arrive at. In the cul-de-sac, there's nowhere really to go. There isn't room for growth, promotion, progress. So when you discern that you're in a cul-de-sac, you want to quit and quit fast. This is when you want to fold them. In the dip, you hold them. In the cul-de-sac, you fold them. So it's important to find a dip that's worth conquering, that's worth sticking around for. And it's also vitally important to quit all the cul-de-sacs that are diverting your energy from your highest priorities. Quitting is about taking back your energy and putting your focus where it needs to be to get you through that big dip that you do need to get through. The big dipper is what I call it. So we do want to quit. We want to simplify certain things in order to amplify what matters. I love the quote by Nathan Morris. It's not always that we need to do more, but rather that we need to focus on less. Embrace the dip, quit the cul-de-sacs. Now, during the dip, you're going to go through a lot of failure and a lot of quitting certain strategies. Godin says, don't fall in love with a tactic and defend it forever. Instead, decide once and for all whether you're in the market or not. And if you are, get through that dip. He says that short-term pain has more impact on most people than long-term benefits do, which is why it's so important for you to amplify the long-term benefits of not quitting. All right, let's talk about the difference between quitting and failing, because a lot of us equate a quit with a fail when often it's a win. So strategic quitting is a conscious decision. It requires your higher prefrontal brain. If you're in a cul-de-sac, a dead end, it's costing you a better opportunity. So strategic quitting is a super smart choice and a very conscious one. True failure, ultimate failure, is just giving up too soon when the dip gets tough and you quit just before the finish line. Quitting smart actually prevents this ultimate failure because it musters up your energy and directs it where it's needed most to finish the race. Do you see the difference? So if you need more help discerning, I want to end with a few questions you can use from this book to help coach yourself through the should I stay or should I go, should I hold him or fold him conundrum. And here are your questions. Ask, is this a dip or a cul-de-sac? If it's a cul-de-sac, how can I change it into a dip? Is there some risk I can take to get out of this cul-de-sac? Is my persistence going to pay off in the long run? 
When should I quit? I need to decide ahead of time, not when I'm in the middle of it and not when part of me is begging to quit. If I quit this task, will it increase my ability to get through the dip on something more important? If I'm going to quit anyway, is there something dramatic I can do instead that might change the game? If I like my job, if I'm comfortable, is it time to quit? Is doing nothing better than planning on quitting and doing something great? I'm going to add my own question here. What is the opportunity cost of staying, of sticking with it? Another one that my coach asked me as I was pondering whether to quit a job, he asked, does it take more courage to stay or to leave? Such a great question. All right, you guys, I'll see some of you this weekend at Creative U. I'm pre-recording this, so I don't know if we have any more seats left at this point, but go to mojoformoms.com and look for Creative U in the menu bar to find out. These live events are absolutely my favorite part of coaching. They're the most fun, and I think some of the most effective and life-changing work that happens in this business by the very nature of the synergy of women joining together to create beautiful new things and spark ideas and breakthrough obstacles and get through that dip knowing we're not alone and other women have our back and some keys and tools to help get us through. So I can't wait to see you on Saturday and I'll see the rest of you on next Tuesday's podcast. Bye-bye. If you want free tools to implement the ideas from today, visit my website at mojoformoms.com. It's custom designed to help you on your path to well-being. If you want to stay up to date on all the latest episodes of this podcast, go to iTunes or your favorite podcast app, the one already on your phone, then subscribe and help me out with a review and rating. As always, thanks for sharing your favorite episodes with friends. Until next week, I'm Wendy Connolly, and you've been listening to Mojo for Moms.